Hello. If you're hearing my voice right now, then you have stumbled onto the podcast where real stories of professional criminal profilers are told by professional assholes. Welcome to Profiling Pain. Hey, how's it going, co-fathers? Last time we talked, uh, we did the uh, Halloween special. We talked about the Candyman and how that asshole killed his own kids for insurance money. Um, this time, we're coming at the heels of another holiday. Uh, in the United States, we just celebrated Thanksgiving, um, which is essentially just a celebration of our gluttony and how we overthrew a country. So that's about it we had a lot of family here this weekend um we had three dogs seven adults nine kids you i mean it was just ha, a bird a cat it was like a zoo in my house but it was fun it was cool seeing everybody we had family come from colorado from all over the state of arizona which i know we weren't supposed to do but we're all fine we're all still alive the only thing that was dead was the turkey so we're all doing great i hope uh for those of you in the united states you guys had a had a great thanksgiving and for those of you um, abroad. I uh, hope you guys just had a good weekend in general and everything's going all right. Um, let's see. Well, Biden is presidential elect. I know that a few episodes ago we talked about the way the Electoral College works and that's what we're still waiting on. Um, I believe the Electoral College is going to have to put in their votes until December 9th and then we'll see who comes out with that. Maybe there'll be a Supreme Court dispute. Depends on whether or not Trump plans on going off quietly into the night, which I, we already know he's not planning on doing. So for the countries watching around the world and waiting to see what happens, uh, I have zero insight for you. And then for everybody here who has drawn a line in the sand, um, shut up. It doesn't fucking matter. It just doesn't matter. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, in the meantime, speaking of hammy, having family over this weekend, uh, for this last episode of Ten, Ted Bundy, where we're going to cover the modus operandi, uh, pretty much his motives and uh, his criminal profile, and also we're going to cover how he changed uh, criminal profiling and and uh, different precincts in the way um, the FBI and, and, and regular police actually correspond and like central databases and shit. So, I mean, it's just cool little interesting facts. Um, it'll probably be boring if you're only into the blood and guts, which we're going to cover a lot of blood and guts in this still. We're going to give you a, a quick rundown of what he did and how he did it again, just in case anybody forgot over the course of the last four episodes. And then, uh, we're also going to talk about what he did to help catch the Green River Killer or, or just, just things that he contributed, um, as a psychopath himself. But in light of having a lot of family over... Uh, my brother-in-law, Anthony, actually is going to be on this episode with me. So, Anthony, go ahead and say what's up. Hey, what's happening, guys? So, me and Anthony like to play a lot a lot of board games. We play a lot of board games. But, recently, we've gotten really into um, certain, like, cold case file games. Okay. One of them is literally called Cold Case Files. And uh, you can get them at, what, Walmart on, on Amazon, yeah, Target, um, and then, you know, you got the Hunt to Kill or anything else like that. And yet, I'm still not sponsored by this shit, which, what the fuck? So if, if you're somebody that, you know, runs that shit and listens to episodes, I'll take a sponsorship right and left. But uh, we, we've, we've solved, we've solved, <laughs> we've played what? We've uh, solved so many murders. So many murders. We've solved so many murders. I think we've, we've, we've really only really solved four so far. Four or five, yeah. Four or five, yeah. But we we try to get all the other ones coming out and stuff like that. And uh, I think one of these days on the uh, on the on the profiling pain podcast Facebook page, I think we might do a a Facebook live, and we'll put out we'll put out which case we're gonna do a couple weeks ahead of time, and then uh, maybe we'll we'll all <laughs> we'll all solve it together. Uh, and if you guys want to get in on that, you guys could do the whole live thing with us, and you know we'll we'll trade back and forth with the comments and all that other shit and. Uh, so if you guys find stuff that we haven't yet, we, we can work it out. I think that'd be fun to do. That'd be pretty nice. So anyway, getting into it. So how much do you actually know about Ted Bundy? Only what I saw about the, uh, the Netflix and here and there of the, the past that I've lived through. So. Like. What? What the hell? Anyway. So you're talking about the uh, uh, Ted Bundy tapes. Yes. Right. Okay. And then uh, I guess the uh, also the Netflix special movie with uh, Zac Efron. Uh, I actually haven't even seen that yet. Me I neither. I've, I've been planning on watching it, but after doing all this, I figured I'd watch the movie after doing all the research and after yeah. that way I'm not sitting there going, you're wrong, and I can just enjoy the movie. 
because it won't be fucking up my research. I'd, I'd hate to be like, and then Zac Efron snuck in through the window, and then I just completely fucked up everything Fuck I'm you, doing. Zac Efron. Yeah. Fuck you, Zac Efron. I'm with that right there. High School Musical, my ass. So anyway, let's get into it. So the modus operandi in his victim profile. Now, Bundy in custody. Leon County, Florida, Bundy had a fairly consistent modus operandi, which is just fucking his MO is, is, is the short term for that. So what he did, what, what, he, what was his go-to for his murders. So he would approach a potential victim in a public place, even in daylight or in a crowd, as when he abducted Ott and uh, Noslin at Lake Sammamish uh, in Washington, which I'm sure we covered that on three different episodes, so you guys already know how that went down. Um, or the way that he kidnapped Leach from her school. So Bunny had various ways of gaining a victim's trust. Sometimes he would feign injury. We talked about that with the uh, arm in a sling, um, right? Wearing his arm in a sling or wearing a fake cast, uh, as in the murders of Hawkins, Raincourt, Ott, Naslin, and Cunningham. And at other times, Bunny would impersonate an authority figure. Uh, he pretended to be a policeman oftentimes. And if you go back and remember the... Uh, Hillside Stranglers, they pretended to be cops a handful of times, too. So, always always beware. Uh, and that's how he ended up uh, approaching Carol Durant. And if you remember, Carol Durant was the one that got away and then actually was uh, did a testimony against him later on in court. Um, the day before he killed Kimberly Leach, Bundy approached another young Florida girl pretending to be Richard Burton Fire Department, uh, but he left hurriedly after her older brother arrived. So, he didn't get everybody he went for. Uh, Bundy had a remarkable advantage in that his facial features were attractive, yet not especially memorable. So it's like, you know, I'd fuck him, but I probably would forget him. And in later years, he had often be described as a chameleon-like, able to look totally different by making only minor adjustments to his appearance. I imagine him, like, sitting there and just having, like, a whole briefcase full of different mustaches. <laughs> you know what I mean? He'd be like, meh, I think today I'll go... Right. He's fucking... He's essentially Seth Rogen's character from Pineapple Express. Where he just, <laughs> he's, he's got a bunch of different costumes. just like, all right, this chick's about to get served. Murder. Murder. <laughs> uh, so, you know, he... he We'd work on growing a beard or changing his hairstyle. So he, he, he would play the long game. And I don't think that they had Just for Men and Rogaine back then, so he was putting in real work. Uh, all of Bundy's victims were white females, and most were of middle-class background. So he definitely had... He's like, yeah, so I want them to have a little money, and I also want them to have milky skin. I don't want anybody who's willing to fight back from the hood by any means. So obviously he went for somebody who he viewed to be a weak person, especially going after girls between the ages of 15 and 25. Now, if you remember, we even talked about the potential of him as young as a 14, as young as 14, committing murders on younger women. So he uh, he was a freak from birth. Now many were college students. Um, in a book that was written by Stephanie Brooks, I'm sorry, in Rules books, sorry. Uh, Rule, in her book and in her notes, she points out that most of Bundy's victims had long, straight hair parted in the middle, just like Stephanie Brooks, the woman who Bundy was engaged to in 1973. So there's a certain type of murder out there where they say that, uh, like, you get into a fight with your wife, you look for someone just like your wife to kill because you can't kill your wife. Right? I mean, you could totally kill your wife, but that's a lot more suspicious than some random person in the street. Who do you know that says that? Well, okay. So, <laughs> you, you do enough of these episodes, you start to, you start to, like, they talk, uh, everybody that's ever had, like, mommy issues, nine times out of ten, they go for people who look like their mothers when they were young, or, I mean, it's, it's kind of gross. It's like a strange Oedipus complex, but he seemed to go for the same type of girl every time. Um... So, Rule also speculates that Bundy's resentment towards his first girlfriend was a motivating factor in his string of murders. Now, I was actually explaining this to our other brother-in-law, Ben, the other night, that there's, there's things that murderers do where they, uh, it's like building up, giving yourself allowances. So, like, for instance, say, petty theft. You start off just yeah. still robbing liquor stores, right? Yeah. And Can then, right, and then you get away with it. And then you move on to, like, assault and battery. You know what I mean? And it's like, then, and it's like getting high. Right, and then you're always chasing that it's bigger like, high. Oh, it's not doing it for me anymore. i got to do this. Right, and while you're going through that, you're also giving yourself little allowances. Like, well, I didn't get caught. I didn't do anything bad then. Or like all of a sudden you start to accept it as you're 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 not doing anything wrong. Yeah. And then eventually it turns into what, what everybody calls a berserker phase, and that's when you go for big air and you're just like trying to take out, I mean, you're just 
killing a lot more people in a shorter amount of time than you usually would. And nine times out of ten, in the midst of their berserker phase is when they all get caught. Because yeah. you get reckless. Uh 1980 interview, Bunny dismissed uh, this hypothesis. They just fit the general criteria of being young and attractive. Too many people have bought this crap that all the girls were similar. Similar hair, same color, parted in the middle. But if you look at it, almost everything was dissimilar physically. They were almost all different, says Bundy. Trying to, He didn't like being typed. He didn't like being profiled. He, he had this arrogance about him. I mean, sociopath, obviously. But he thought that he was better than everybody else. So nobody really knew him. And when he, and if you remember the Ted Bundy tapes, he would talk in the third person a lot, or like when he would talk about himself, he'd be like, "Oh, the the dark entity or the dark creature, or whatever." He would never really, yeah. you know, fess up to the shit. Right. And after luring a victim to his car, Bundy would hit her in the head with a crowbar he had placed underneath his Volkswagen or hidden inside of it. Uh, which, for him being a narcissist, I don't know why he drove a Volkswagen Beetle. It's. I mean, at that point in time, it was the hardest, it was the most Common popular. thing on the planet, yep. So, it's, I mean, in his mind, it's easier to get away. Side note, I knew a guy who uh, had a Volkswagen Beetle, and you know how, like, I don't know about you, but, like, when I was younger, car clubs were, like, the big thing for every dude. <laughs> and they all had, like, 1960s to, like, 1970s uh, Volkswagen Beetles, and, they, and the stickers on their back said, Nut Sack Racing. Because <laughs> it looks like little scrotums of wheels, you know Pretty what I mean? <laughs> Nuts sack racing. I thought that was funnier shit. Anyway, uh, every recovered skull except for that of Kimberly Leach showed signs of blunt force trauma. Every recovered body except for that of Leach showed signs of strangulation. Many of Bunny's victims were transported a considerable distance from where they had disappeared, as in the case of Kathy Parks, whom he drove more than 260 miles from Oregon to Washington. Bundy often would drink alcohol prior to finding a victim. Carol DeRanch testified to smelling alcohol in his breath. Uh, Hagmeyer stated that Bundy considered himself to be an amateur and impulsive killer in his early years and then moved into what he considered to be his prime or predator phase. As the arrogance grows, so is you know, the sociopath way. Uh, Bundy stated that this phase began around the time of the Linda Healy murder when he began seeking victims he considered to be equal to his skill as a murderer. On death row, Bundy admitted to decapitating at least a dozen of his victims with a hacksaw. He kept... I heard that. Wow. He kept uh, the several heads later found on Taylor. And, you know, I think when you go back and you cover all this, how much work they really put in, because I don't think that there was, like, DeWalt Sawzalls in the 70s. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> they had to actually physically, like, saw... and I mean, you just wanted it more. You know what I mean? Uh, I, guess, I guess that's the way to put it, yeah. <laughs> You just wanted just, it more. It's like when one team wins the champion and the other one doesn't. You know, I mean, you just wanted it more. I don't know. Like, I mean, nowadays, it'd be like if, if you're on a construction site and you had like, but it was prison. You know, what I mean, it was an actual construction site, but it's like mm-hmm. a prison, and you had like the the old inmate talking to the young inmate, like back in my day, we had to use a bone saw. <laughs> yeah, like a wood saw. Yeah. I hear you young and sitting here discussing who's better, DeWalt or Milwaukee. <laughs> anyway. So he kept the several heads later found on Taylor Mountain, Raincourt Parks, Ball, and Healy in his room or apartment for some time before finally disposing of them. He confessed to cremating Donna Manson's head in his girlfriend's fireplace, uh, which I don't know if he was actually able to do that. You have to get the fire a lot harder than a, fu- a lot hotter than a fireplace in order to cremate him, I would assume. But uh, some of the skulls of Bundy's victims were found with their front teeth broken out. Jesus. Bundy also confessed. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. Bundy also confessed to visiting his victims' bodies over and over again at the Taylor Mountain body dump site. He stated that he would uh, lie with them, uh, talk to them, and just just hang out with them for hours, applying makeup to their corpses and even having sex with their decomposing bodies until uh, putrefaction forced him to abandon the remains. Now, not only, I mean, that part is fucking, man, like... Murder is terrible. Murder is really, really terrible. But, I mean, when you move into necrophilia, I feel like there's some, something way worse than just having a rage problem. There's, there's, there's a major underlining issue there. I mean, a mental issue that I don't think anybody can really wrap their head around. Um, not long before his death, Bundy actually admitted to returning to the corpse of George Ann Hawkins for purposes of necrophilia. 
Uh, Bundy confessed to keeping other souvenirs of his crimes. The Utah police was ser- who searched Bundy's apartment in 1975 missed a collection of photographs that Bundy had hidden in the utility room. Photos that Bundy destroyed when he returned home after being released on bail. His girlfriend Elizabeth once found a bag in his room filled with women's clothing. And when Bundy was confronted by law enforcement officers who stated that they, they believed the number of individuals he had murdered was 36, Bundy told them that they should add one digit to that and you'll have it. So he's confessing to over 100 murders at that point, which would have put him in the history books as like the number one murderer of all time. There's, uh, there's the checkerboard killer or the chessboard killer who tried to uh, fill in a square, every square on the chessboard with a murder victim. And then there's uh, the Red Ripper, who was a Russian-style Jack the Ripper. I, I'm trying to remember his name at the top of my head, but I can't. Um, but I've listened to his story multiple times, and he, he was going for big air as, as well. Uh, Andre Chikatilo was the Red Ripper, I believe. And there's just, I mean, there's a handful of other guys that got above the 40 range. And uh, I think Bundy might have overstated. However, rules speculated that this meant Bundy might have killed over 100 women. And speaking to his lawyer, Polly Nelson, in 1988, uh, Bundy dismissed the 100-plus victim speculation and said that the more common estimate of approximately 35 victims was accurate pathology. But well, no one really knows for sure. I mean, it's the same thing with the Green River Killer. You never know how many he killed. I mean, you, you never really know for sure. In December of 1987, six months after I was born, uh, Bunny was examined for seven hours by Dorothy Otnow Lewis, a professor from New York University Medical Center. Uh, Lewis diagnosed Bunny as a manic depressive whose crimes usually occurred during his depressive episodes. Now, manic depressive to me <laughs> is more like you just can't stop crying and every little thing hurts your feelings. Uh, manic depressive to me doesn't go... <sighs> fucking kill that bitch like I don't I don't know that that's murder yeah murder I'm so sad right now I just I want to wipe my tears of blood it just doesn't sound like I, I feel like manic I mean but then again I'm not a psychologist so who knows how manic manic really is with manic depression um to Lewis Bundy described his childhood especially his relationship with his in maternal grandparents uh Samuel and Eleanor Cowell according to Bundy so it's based off of how he would describe his relationship with them. Now, if you remember, if we go back, uh, his relationship with them was was not good. Um, he actually, there's actually uh, a, a realm of belief where people think that his grandfather actually molested his mom, and that's how Bundy was born because they never really figured out who Bundy's real dad was. So it might be a case of where he's got like a daddy grandpa. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he was raised for the longest time to believe that his mom was actually his sister, and his grandparents were his parents in the first place. Like, he yeah. had, like, a weird little... And then he, the whole story of him finding his birth certificate, and just, I mean, he's, he wasn't right since. Um, so, according to Bundy, Grandfather Samuel Cow was a deacon in his church, along with the already established description of his grandfather as a tyrannical bully. Bundy described him as a bigot who hated blacks, Italians, Catholics, and Jews. Uh, he further stated, which I think is also odd, that the polar opposite of all those things that his grandfather hated was uh, a middle-class white female. And yet, that became his target. Uh, he further... I mean, that could also... Yeah, you never... I mean, trying to figure him out is impossible, but, I mean, yeah. that could be something. He further stated that his grandfather tortured animals, beating the family dog and swinging neighborhood cats by their tails. He also told Lewis how his grandfather kept a large collection of pornography in his greenhouse, where, according to relatives, Bundy and a cousin would sneak to look at it for hours. Now, I mean, I remember finding my grandfather's nudie mags. I never went to prison for murder. Yeah. Okay, sorry. I've never murdered. I guess I should really <laughs> really establish that as well. Man. You know what I mean? I mean, I and, you know, kicking the dot. I mean, none, none of it sounds too crazy. And it's what's even weirder is that he's describing his grandfather's obsession with pornography and his grandfather's uh, uh, cruelties to animals. But the McDonald Triad states that most, most serial killers um, play a fire, wet the bed, are harmful to animals. And then, um, not just that, but most serial killers also uh, end up having some sort of strange attachment to pornography. 
and Bundy later actually tries to claim that his addiction to pornography and pornography is like the true evil of the world and I mean I've, I've honestly I feel like pornography is probably more responsible for keeping kids from murdering I mean that would make sense you know what I mean like I'm not I'm saying you shouldn't you shouldn't hope to have what you see in the movies happen in real life but at the same time like if you can get it out real quick your aggression comes way down yeah I mean uh, yeah so family members expressed skepticism over uh, Luis's Jack Worthington story of Bundy's uh, parentage and noted that Samuel Cowell once flew into a violent rage when the subject of the boy's father came up. Bundy described his grandfather as a timid and obedient wife, or his grandmother, sorry, as a timid and obedient wife who was uh, sporadically taken to hospitals to undergo shock treatment for depression. Such a crazy time. Uh, toward the end of her life, Bundy said that she became agoraphobic so uh i'm assuming that's if i'm reading it correctly agoraphobic is when you're afraid of, of germs you stay in your house everything's clean you just you won't go out because you're afraid of the germs of the world louise bundy's younger sister julia recalled a disturbing incident with her young nephew after lying down in the cow's home for a nap julia woke to find herself surrounded by knives from the cow kitchen which we discussed in the very first episode when we we're talking about young bundy so three-year-old bundy used stolen credit card oh sorry three-year-old bundy Ted was standing by the bed, smiling at her. Bundy also used stolen credit cards to purchase more than 30 pairs of socks while on the run in Florida. He was a self-described foot fetishist. So we go from obsession of knives when younger to being a foot fetishist, and I don't think that there's any throwing, and yet he never hurt anybody's feet. He never did anything weird to the feet. <laughs> so I'm not sure why they felt the need to point out the fact that he had a thing for feet. Um, in the Dobson interview before his execution, Bundy said that violent pornography played a major role in his sex crimes. According to Bundy, as a young boy, he found outside the home again and the local grocery store and a local drugstore the softcore pornography that people called softcore. And from time to time, uh, we would come across pornographic books of harder nature, Bundy said. It happened in stages, gradually. My experience with pornography generally, but with pornography that deals on a violent level with sexuality, is once you become addicted to it. And I look at this as a kind of addiction, like other kinds of addictions. I would keep looking for more potent, more explicit, more graphic kinds of material until you reach a point where the porn pornography only goes so far. You reach that jumping off point where you begin to wonder if maybe actually going and doing it would give that which is beyond just reading it or looking at it. Give that extra thrill. Right. It, that was like his jumping out of an airplane. Yeah. Which, I mean, I, I get that. I'm not going to say that there isn't a progression there. But when I was a kid, we were joking about this the other day. I've got four little boys that we're raising. And uh, so when we were kids, like, oh, dude, there's a Kmart Briad on the table. You know what I mean? <laughs> or like as you, because as you, you, we didn't have the internet when we were kids. Yeah. Like that's still, I, whether you believe it or not, you're listening to us on an internet format. But it's still a recent development. It's not something that we all had when we were kids. I'm 33 fucking years old. I sure as fuck didn't have the internet growing up. You know, like we had dial up AOL. So, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Like, we, there's yeah. no there's no watching porn on the internet. No, your parents would wake up in the middle of the night just hearing that. Right. That's the. <laughs> right. So, and plus, I don't know about you, but the way that our internet worked is that we oh, we didn't have internet unless we got like the free 500 hour discs in the mail. Okay, so you could yeah, try it out. That's the only time we ever had internet. Uh, but yeah, there, but there was a progression there. You start off with like, you know, your little bra ads, and then you see like a. Uh, Victoria's Secret or Frederick's a Hollywood ad and then eventually you find magazines and the next thing you know you're trying to watch the Spice Channel all all fucking digitized on, on TV but you know oh, I think that was a nipple Showtime yeah and then you're staying up late and you're watching Softcore and Cinemax yeah fucking, fucking G-string divas <laughs> so, but there's, there was definitely a, a escalation there and it sounds like his escalation led him to be like I need blood so, in a letter written shortly before his escape from the uh, Glenwood Springs jail, which, I don't know if you listen to any of the previous episodes that I've done, but this motherfucker escaped jail twice. Yeah. He escaped jail twice. Yeah, uh, I jumped Bundy out of a window. Jumped out of a fucking window. Like, he paced back and forth in his tiny cell to get ready to do that jump. He's just insane. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, before his escape um, from... Uh, Sorry, I'm getting all out of wax here. From the Glenwood Springs Jail, Bunny said, I have known people who radiate vulnerability. Their facial expressions say, I'm afraid of you. These people invite abuse by expecting to be hurt, 
Uh, do they subtly encourage it? In a 1980 interview speaking of a serial killer's justification of his actions, Bundy said, So what's one less? What's one less person on the face of the planet? When Florida detectives asked Bundy to tell them where he had left Kimberly Leach's body, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline for her family's solace Bundy allegedly said but I'm the most cold-hearted son of a bitch you'll ever meet which the irony of that statement and then the people the amount of people who are sitting outside when he was when he was executed like it was like Woodstock yeah like that's that's fucking crazy selling homemade shirts and shit right now Bundy was a fucking monster okay no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But the one thing that he did do, we're going to cover here. That it's we're going to change. We're going to cover what he actually uh, did to help. Uh, yeah, I hate the word help. He he made criminal profilers and he made different uh, police thought processes and and actions uh, start happening. Um, one of the main things is having a central database for these murderers because Bundy's murders stemmed from Washington to Oregon to Utah to Florida to Colorado like he went literally across the US just raping and pillaging you know and the reason it took so long to catch him is because all these states didn't have a centralized database to just go to you know whether it be even just like files sent over I mean they they had something like we were talking about they didn't have the internet yeah and I mean and yet I also think though that they didn't have any DNA tracking like I from all the research that I've done on other cases the majority of what they were able to find from semen samples yeah. is figure out whether or not you're a non-secretor all that means is whether or not they could tell your blood type from your semen if your blood type you know what I mean if you're a non-secretor your blood type doesn't pop up in your semen and that's a low percentage of the population that's like that so then you can go back and check your database that way yeah. but outside of that you, they didn't have any your DNA wasn't a thing you know. Yeah, they couldn't, I mean, he's, I'm sure he had plenty of jobs going through each fucking city. Right. And they had no way to check his background at that point either. So even like the job sense of it, not even, not even the police sense. Right, no even knowing that he was a suspect. Yeah, even even knowing he was just a suspect in a yeah. crime a while back, yeah, they wouldn't have even known that. That's a really good point. So they had nothing to go on. Yeah. They had absolutely nothing to go on anywhere else. So anyway, so I found this really cool article called The Depths of Depravity. All right. Uh, so it says, Savvy Sociopath Changes police, me- police Methods, which sounds really cool. So this one's actually done by uh, Kevin Heldman. Um, it's it's important for me to note who did it, who, who wrote it, because if I'm going to be using their shit, you're supposed to, you know, because not all research. I mean, there's so much goddamn Ted Bunny shit out there. Uh I, I got a lot of my information from the Ted Bundy tapes. We talked about that awesome uh, criminal profile, Rachel. We, I mean, we've, we've, we've used a lot of materials from a lot of people. But this article in particular I thought was really cool because he points out how you, how, how, you know, his, his profile, how he was, and how he changed things. So there's going to be a lot of, again, repeat information in here because you're going to get that. But it's just, just, just lay with me here. This is just kind of interesting shit. So Ted Bundy was a young Republican, law student, avid skier, crisis hotline volunteer, and the boy next door. I mean, this dude sounds like the American fucking dream, right? He sounds like that, that dude's going to go far. He should he should be right now owning a tech company somewhere in Silicon Valley. On top of that, the weirdest, the weirdest part to me, and I know everybody brings this up and everybody mentions it, is the fact that he was a suicide hotline counselor. Like, that's fucking crazy to me. Anyway... Uh, so, the boy next door, right? But he was also a cannibal, a necrophiliac, charismatic sociopath, and the man whose name came to define the term serial killer for the 20th century. Now, though there was at least 57 documented cases of show killings in America since 1900, we're talking Gein, 
we're talking Richard Chase, Richard Ramirez. I mean, there was, I mean, holy shit, the list goes on and on. Like, we spent all of our time, the, the fucking, uh, the uh, Hillside Stranglers, like, we've, we spent a lot of time in the 70s. And we're going to spend more time in the 70s because next season, which is going to be starting in January, we're going to be covering cults, which is going to be a lot to do in the 70s. A lot in the, like, I'm romancing a lot in the fucking 70s. Jonestown, a lot in the 70s. Anyway, <laughs> so he came to define the term show killer. Now, Bunny changed the landscape. The man who admitted to killing at least 30 women between 1973 and 1978. Some experts believe he killed more than 100, which, you know, whatever, was a remarkable criminal in several ways. So we know this. Okay, he was a remarkable criminal. Now, in 1974, when we had our first Bundy crime that we knew of, the phenomenon wasn't just very well known. It just was not very well known. They weren't used to this shit, said Robert Keppel, a former homicide detective and author of The Riverman. Okay, an account of his search for Washington's Green River Killer and his attempt to enlist Ted Bundy's assistance. Now, what makes him unique from a lot of others is the range and the span with which he committed his murders across state lines, uh, across the whole country. Um, Bundy killed in as many as 10 states, more than any, any serial killer in American history. He killed in more states than I have fucking visited. Uh, University of Louisville criminology professor Ronald M. Holmes who spent two years corresponding with Bundy as well, as interviewing him in prison, said Bundy's uh, propensity for travel corresponded with the advent of the nation's interstate system and the increased reliability of transportation, which is very interesting because they say that the reason there's so many serial, killers, serial killings happening in the 70s in California and L.A. at the time is because the amount of lead that was in the air from the fuel based uh, because of the interstates connecting so much. So... I guess L.A. has always had a problem with uh, uh, smog and and pollution and stuff. And they're saying that the amount of lead that was actually in that, in the air, because lead actually, like, stimulates your aggression. They're saying that's what led to so many serial killings, serial killings in the 70s. Yeah. Like, isn't that just like, yeah. a, that sounds far-fetched as fuck, but when you think about, I mean, now there's no longer lead-based paint. There's no longer da-da-da. But when we had lead-based paints in schools... There wasn't any fucking mass shootings in schools. Yeah, it was, you know it was what I mean. More like you don't let your kids eat lead-based paint, or they might right have some learning problems. You know? But then again, at the same time, I mean, you know, there was also asbestos that calmed them the fuck down. <laughs> so, anyway, but yeah, so that's they, they say that. Um, anyway, uh, so. Bundy, as well as interviewing in prison, da 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 interstate system, and the increased reliability of transportation. Prior to Bundy, most serial killers murdered in their own backyards. Gein, uh, even Jeffrey Dahmer kind of stayed in his own little spot. He actually buried the bodies in his house. We haven't done Dahmer yet. We're going to do Dahmer. Dahmer's a very interesting case. He's essentially somebody who was so ashamed of his own uh, homosexuality that he murdered younger men and hid them under his, under his floorboards in his house. He was a fucking freak, too. And I believe Dahmer was actually the uh, the one that dressed up like a clown a lot. I know it was always that serial killer clown. Is that the, no, that was Wayne Gacy, wasn't it? No, yeah, it was John Wayne Gacy. You're right. Oh, wow, look at you fucking coming out of nowhere. Look at you. Anyway, uh, Bunny was the first to deviate significantly from that pattern, establishing the model for the modern-day multiple murderer, uh, a new breed of killer. Bunny was a type of killer police hadn't encountered before. They weren't yet equipped to, you know, to deal with him. Uh, his case had a great effect on the way law enforcement collects information about killers, Keppel said. There was no central uh, repository of murder information anywhere in the United States at that time. Think about that. There was no central hub for any type of killings anywhere. And yet now, fucking someone stubs a toe, everybody on Facebook knows it. Yeah. Like, it's fucking crazy. Information so out there now. Yeah, everything, and then not just that, but you know, with the advent of cell phones, they uh, anytime there's a silver alert or an amber alert, like boom, everybody's phone goes off in the area. Yeah, like, you you know when a fucking dust storm is coming. It's crazy to think of a time where they didn't have that. Like even like when they used to do like the radio boo doo on the radio. Yeah. This is a check of the national security, whatever the fuck. Uh, for those of you who aren't in the U.S. Um, an amber alert is when a child goes missing, and a silver alert is when an old person goes missing. Um, and more often than not, the child abduction is typically one of the other parents, and the other parent called it in. And a silver alert is typically somebody who's like 
got Alzheimer's or somebody who's a little bit more senile, and they just venture off on their own, and their family can't find them. Make their way to their car. And right. They're not seen for a while. But they let everybody in the area know and give you the serial number, or not serial number, the uh, license, plate. license plate number to know to look for them. What type of car, yeah. Right. And, uh, and if it's an old person, they'll be driving on the wrong side of the freeway anyway. So although some experts disagree, Keppel said that Bundy's case was instrumental in the development of VICAP, Violent Criminal Apprehension Program, an FBI database designed to collect and link information on serial homicides. The FBI began using VICAP in 1985. So to really put that into perspective, they said, fuck this, we're done with that, 10 states, 40 women, like we need to figure this the fuck out, and the FBI was like, we got this, VICAP. Uh, so he inadvertently implemented a better way to get everybody else caught. Uh, Bunny's geographical range left investigators with the uh, laborious task of phoning individual police departments across the United States and combing through piles of desperate murder records. Um, it was Bundy, by proxy, who taught the FBI the value of a central murder database. It took my partner and I a year and a half to collect information on over 90 murders in western states, said Keppel. If everybody cooperated in the VICAP program and submitted their crimes, it would have been a matter of fucking seconds. Now, the media's darling Bundy with a hand from the media changed the face of the serial killer as well. According to Holmes, who was profiled, who has profiled more than 375 murder and rape cases, I'm going to have to look this dude up. Uh, the public image of the serial killer before Bundy was the psycho, you know, psychopathic, he's just psychotic, uh, demented freak with gross physical impairments, like Frankenstein's fucking monster. But then Bundy comes along and says, hey, I'm just like the guy next door. I'm the stranger beside you. Uh, he said, referring to the title of crime writer Ann Rule's book about Bundy. Holmes said there were serial killers before Bundy who were just as charismatic, just as all-American, but they didn't get the media representation Bundy did. We serial killers are your sons, we are your husbands, we are everywhere. Bunny is quoted in Harold Schenkter's book, The A to Z Encyclopedia of Serial Killers. A PhD in serial killing. Bunny called upon a potpourri, I'm oh, sorry, potpourri, that was spelt wrong on here. Potpourri of serial killer traits and a vast reserve of deviance. According to various accounts, he stored severed heads in his home and was a loner who was simultaneously engaged to women while he was killing. And he wasn't, so, I mean, they say he was a loner. I guess he kind of was, but he put up a really good front. I mean, he was like an undercover uh, Republican sneaking into Democratic conventions. I mean, he was, he was like the weirdest damn <laughs> little right-wing spy i mean he, he did a lot he had a lot of friends and even in the yeah. ted bunny tapes a lot of people spoke highly of him from when he was younger yeah, so i don't know about the whole loner thing but i mean at the same time though he never really felt like anybody was on his level either so maybe self-proclaimed loner uh he incinerated skulls in his fireplace he vacuumed up the ashes he redressed dead victims and their flesh uh feign uh lameness to lure victims and faked accents we already covered all that uh, I don't know about the fake. I didn't hear about any of the fake accents part. Like, it's in the 1970s. It must have been so fucking racist for him to fake accents. Yeah. You know, he's a me, your friend of Bundy. <laughs> like, I just, I don't, I can't imagine he was doing it any any justice. You know what I mean? Like, hey, get your ass over here. You know, yeah, just fucking <laughs> top of the morning to you. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, most people don't know that about back then. But he, he fucking, <laughs> you know. Anyway, he kept one of his victims. It had to all be British accents, dude. I mean, if we're God. being honest, if we're being honest, it was all British accents. That's like the because like, we had the BBC or a southern accent. Yeah, I could see that too. Uh, he kept one of his victims in his possession for nine days. He twice escaped from custody, was an experienced cat burglar, and insisted on strangling his victims while he looked directly into their fucking eyes. Bundy looked upon serial killing as a macabre. Oh, sorry, a macabre mixture of sport, craft, and intellectual pursuit. A 1992 investigative report stated that Bundy went on dry runs, picking up a woman and releasing her unharmed to test his skills, which that's the little allowances. That's what that buildup is. In interviews, he compared killing to learning how to be a better repairman or cook. He told interviewers he had a Ph.D. in serial killing. Killing only the best victims. Perhaps Bundy's most significant impact on the public consciousness was the breadth of his killing and the identities of his victims. Bunny didn't kill prostitutes or drug dealers, which, unfortunately, a lot of the times, 
in a lot of these cases, prostitutes are like the number one hit. They're like a quick fix. Uh, he killed pretty young college girls. His crimes caused outrage and led to nationwide media coverage. He was killing the best and most attractive of the youth, said Holmes. He was killing college girls that were the future of America. They were very valuable victims. Now, my question is, did his killing continue because of the coverage? Like, he enjoyed being on TV. When, when they were talking about the whole Young Republicans thing and he was actually doing interviews and shit mm-hmm. like that, like, he enjoyed that limelight. Yeah. Like, and now you've got people doing mass shootings. Like, we just had one in Arizona a couple months ago, dude. We had that kid that went to Westgate and was on Snapchat. Right. And he, I mean, he shot maybe three people, didn't kill anybody, and then his gun jammed. Yeah. But it's strange to me that, because I don't, I don't know how many of these mass shootings you followed, but you had the... Uh, one kid that went in and shot the Baptist church about four years ago, three years ago, I want to say. I wish I remembered his name, but fuck him. And he didn't even so much as have a social media account. And he killed like eight or nine people. But then you have the other kid who flat out said he's doing it because no girl wants to sleep with him. Like, he's like, my dick's dry, so now it's going to be wet with your blood. And went, yeah, you, did you not see that? Yeah, Westgate in Phoenix. He went He went out to Westgate, and he was on Snapchat. And he was a good-looking young kid. He wasn't He wasn't like an ugly chud or anything either. His hair was nice. He's all primped and proper and shit. You know, it looked like he was driving a nice car and got out with his AR-15 and just started fucking trying to shoot one. one. He's trying to shoot an AR-15 with one hand while filming. Yeah. So he wasn't doing very well no. anyway. But it was all through Snapchats, dude. Via Snapchat. And said flat out, it's because no chick will give him the time of day. He's fucking, hey, you gonna remember me now? Like, yeah. Yeah, and then his fucking gun jammed and he got he got taken down. But that's just over the course of the last couple of years. That's a, that's a presidential term, dude. Four years. Yeah. And you go from like no social media presence at all, socially awkward, fucking no one even knows about this kid. And he just loses his mind after going on like fucking... 4chan and seeing some racist bullshit that he falls in line with and follows all these gay conspiracy and also if you're into this fucking QAnon bullshit we already discussed QAnon I already talked about it in another episode and QAnon is just getting fucking crazier and crazier and crazier with their Wayfair fucking uh, uh, whatever the fuck and then recently I read a conspiracy theory based around this corona the COVID I know I, I try not I've been trying not to talk about fucking COVID-19 this episode but <sighs> I read a conspiracy theory that's actually being passed around through the uh super right-wing conservative Christian movement, and they're actually saying that the COVID-19 vaccine could be the mark of the beast and bring about the final days and the rapture. I read that four fucking days ago. That is a true article that is like, it's not even Westboro Baptist Church shit. This is just like right-wing fucking Christian, like, traditionalists, the kind that won't let their kids get blood transfusions when they're sick, like the, the really, really hardcore strict Christians, they're saying that it's the mark of the beast and that Christ will rise, the rapture will happen, and that we have to go through the seven years of fucking war on hell and earth. That is the most recent conspiracy theory I've looked up. They're fucking... That is ridiculous. Like, that would be such a fun fucking podcast episode to cover. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, so me and Levon have actually been discussing the idea. I know, I'm, I'm getting off topic. But me and Levon, uh, who I was, when I did the crossover episode with Rap Sheets, you go back, listen to that one. It was a fun episode. We we're talking about Jam Master J and his murders that got caught. So it wasn't just like, yo, MTV raps. We actually covered a cold case. But uh, anyway, me and Levon have been t- discussing for years about doing a, uh, a conspiracy theory podcast. Now, Levon, yeah. I don't know if you could tell. But based off the name Levon, he's a little darker than me, right? So, and I'm Chris, so I'm a little, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, I'm a very, 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 very pale man, and Levon is my photo negative, right? Been, we've been best friends for years, been best friends for years. But me and Levon have always joked about doing a conspiracy podcast where it's like how black people view conspiracy theories and how white people view conspiracy theories, Yeah. right? So... I can only imagine it'd be me like, dude, did you see this shit? Da-da-da. And he'd be like, nah, man, that's, nah, that's, that sounds like some fake shit. You believe that shit? That sounds like some fake shit. And then I'd be like, no, no, listen to me. There's lizard demons in the center of the earth, <laughs> and they feed on our fear. And yeah, he'd be like, white people always believe that kind of shit. Yeah, and then he'd be like, nah, man, you want to talk real conspiracy theory? How come, how come, how come they got grape-flavored menthol cigarettes? You don't think you that? You know what I mean? Like, I could just see him fucking change that shit around. I'd be sitting there going like, you know, they're fucking the central baking. And LeVon be like, nah, bro. 
I think that Trader Joe's parking lot is smaller on purpose to make him look more busy. <laughs> Which that's a that's a Kyle Kinane joke. I'm not gonna keep that's not it's not me, but <laughs> fucking like I'm just saying, like he'd be really rational yeah. and then I'd be the fucking like, nah man, aliens <laughs> so, lizard people. Fucking, the devil. This is why the earth is flat. Galileo. So anywho <laughs> So serving so we're getting back to getting back on topic here. Ted Bundy. So all the shit that he did, including serving as his own defense attorney. Bundy dragged out his execution for almost 11 years with all of his uh, addendums. They're not addendums. I always forget this fucking word. Not addendum. When you challenge the courts. You challenge the courts. I always forget that fucking word. It starts with an A. Appeal? Appeal. Yes, thank you. Man, again, out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. With all his appeals, um... Bundy even managed to somehow have a daughter while incarcerated. Right. His best friend. You got you, you got to go back and watch the Ted Bundy tapes because yeah. we talked about it in the very last episode. But he was like, there's pictures of him with his family like in his cell trying to be like a normal dad. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. what the fuck, dude? Like, the amount of arrogance from that sociopath was insane. He's still like, I can still have a fucking family. Watch me raise her, you know? So, <laughs> Yeah. So snippets of his televised trial in Miami came into people's homes on the news each night. So he was in their face. Not only was he in their face, but he was acting like he was smarter than everybody else in the room on camera in your home. And by the time he was executed in 1989 at the age of 42, Bundy was so widely despised that according to Schechter's book, people gathered outside the prison where he was to be electrocuted to toast his death and with champagne, Across the state of Washington, Keppel said taverns in every city put up billboards celebrating his impending execution. There were signs that said, drink to Bundy. And other people had that, like, fry, Bundy, fry. And yeah. you, you saw all the other things. Yeah, I yeah. even posted up pictures on the uh, on the Facebook uh, for the thing. But that that essentially is, he, he helped create, whether they want to give him credit or not, he was responsible for actually uh, creating Vicap. Um, and with Keppel, there's actually a book that Keppel wrote, which is actually all based around him interviewing Bundy and picking his brain and Bundy actually helping him with certain aspects of profiling and catching the Green River Killer. Yeah. Like, that's that's Hannibal Lecter type shit. Right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Right? That's that's like a very attractive <laughs> Hannibal Lecter being like, hello, Clarice. You know what I mean? Yeah. Did you bring me the dirty panties to sniff? You know what I mean? Panties. Yeah. Like, he fucking, he just, he did all kinds of crazy shit and he changed, he literally changed the game. And unfortunately... As I've always heard people say, there is no progress without sacrifice. And it sucks that, that all those young women were the, were the sacrifice. But now, now you can't pull that shit. There's no serial killers anymore. There's no way they can get away with it. Now there, yeah, now no there's just... No right, but now there's mass shootings. And is that... I guess this will be for another episode to actually really get into. Maybe do like a... a, a I don't want to say best of episode. That's terrible. But like a, <laughs> a, a, a montage episode. There you go. Like a, so, yeah. okay, because yeah. I almost said greatest hits. That's terrible too. Montage episode of of mass shootings because there's so there's so little profile behind these guys. It's like I've I've tried to do episodes based on mass shootings or, and tried to do research on them, yeah. and like Ted Bundy, books upon books. You know what I mean? Fucking Ed Gein, books upon books, information upon information. You find articles and snippets of mass shootings, and then they're gone, and then it's like because it's. It happens so often it's it's a new type of serial yeah yeah like and the, but it's it gets glossed over so much it's like where'd it happen like you didn't even know about the one that happened in Arizona yeah like and that was just a couple fucking months ago like that's insane right and then yeah. we had the, I mean the the most uh, the other recent one to talk about is the one there was one that happened in El Paso you remember that one at the Walmart uh yeah yeah that one was a big fucking deal and then there was one that happened in uh Denton Ohio that was a big one I might have heard about that. That was last year sometime. Oh, there, I mean, there's there's literally too many to count. The one, I, I'm trying to remember, I think I think it was also Texas, that a mass shooter went into a church, and an ex, uh, I think Marshall, I think Texas Marshall, was one of the, whatever, one of the, just, yeah. uh, what do you call them? One of the flock of that church. Mm-hmm. And he had actually been training people in there to shoot. So the guy came in with a shotgun, shot down two people, and by the time he was getting ready to shoot down his third, that Marshall, ex-Marshall, stood up, turned on, Right between the fucking eyes. Had his gun in church. Stood up. Boom. Dropped him. Yeah. Like, that could have been way fucking worse if he didn't have that gun. So, just 
food for thought. Um, once again, uh, we are not sponsored by Abide Armory, but if you do need to find uh, any self-defense weapons with all this other craziness going on in the world, check out AbideArmory.com. That's my brother-in-law Ben's business. Uh, he's got a lot of the hard-to-find shit right now because he's got a really good deal going with, uh, with the company Davidson's Distribution. So maybe you guys could, could uh, hit him up, get you guys some ammo, get some guns, whatever it is you need while we still have them. And then uh, for foreign countries... I can't help you, sorry. <laughs> but uh, you, what you can do, if you can't buy a gun, is you can go to ageofradio.org and you can check out all the other podcasts on there. Uh, it's not just my podcast. It's not just Rap Sheets with LeVon and, and Jet. It's a uh, yeah, great podcast on there. you got Breakdown from the Couch. You've got Under the Midnight Sun. There's there's everything from cryptozoology uh, to fucking ghost hunting to business advice, self-help. Um, even UFC podcasts now, they've gotten really big into, into promoting a lot of the UFC podcasts. Um, sports podcast. So ageradio.org, I mean, you'll, you'll find anything that tickles your fancy. And then if you are a sponsor and you're listening to podcasts, Age of Radio is always looking for more sponsors. So go check them out. Um, make sure to like and subscribe. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I feel like I'm finally fucking done with Ted Bundy. I'm not doing any more shit on Ted Bundy, but he will probably be a frame of reference and all my other shit going forward anyway. The next case I'm going to do is going to be Richard Ramirez. I promised a buddy, and it's also in the same timeline. And it's going to tie into another story that we did. Um, I believe it was not Richard Chase, but the Hillside Stranglers. One of the detectives that helped catch the Hillside Stranglers also helped catch Richard Ramirez and was, was a key player in Richard Ramirez's case. And we've been able to tie all our little stories into each other, except for Ted Bunny. Ted Bunny's been the outlier. Um... The next side profile is going to be a long episode on uh, Led Zeppelin. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm going to cover their career because we've done a couple music things and we haven't really talked about their musical career. And I feel like that's kind of leaving some of the shit out. That's why we're covering them. So we're going to talk about their musical career, their retirement. And we're also going to talk about uh, essentially pedophilia, drug use, money laundering, um, you fucking name it. Led Zeppelin are legends in their own right musically, and they are fucking monsters personally. And we'll cover that on uh, the next side profile. Um, and that's it. And then I think Richard Ramirez will take us into the new year, and then we start on our cult edition. If you guys have any suggestions for which cult you'd like me to do first, um, centartainment at gmail.com. The, every, the links are always in the show description. Profiling Pain Podcast uh, on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, I need to get a Twitter. I just kind of keep refusing to do so. And then merchandise. I'll be, I'll be, I swear to God, before the end of the year, I have the fucking link. I have everything I need to do it. I just haven't posted it yet. Honestly, with everybody being at home and not able to spend a lot of you know, money frivolously, I don't want to be like, hey guys, help out the show, go buy a shirt, because I feel like that's a dick move. But you know, maybe you guys got someone in the house that really likes this podcast, and so I should do that so you can get them a shirt for Christmas, right? Fucking right. There you go. So, it's anyway. Christmas time. It's almost Christmas time. That's right. So, uh, that's going to be on Teespring and possibly Redbubble, so I'll give you the link to that uh, on the Led Zeppelin episode, because that will be the next one that's going to drop. Um, that's essentially it. Anthony, do you have anything to add? Fucking, let's go Colts. Let's, let's, let's go Colts. That's right. He didn't say let's go Colts. He's not an Indianapolis fan. He said let's go Colts. He says, I want some brainwashed motherfuckers doing dirty deeds right now. I want to get into that shit. <laughs> so, but anyway, uh, that was the episode. Anthony, thank you very much for sitting with me and listening to me ramble on. Okay, thanks And for then uh, to all you guys, stay happy, stay healthy. Uh, pimping ain't easy. And uh, stay metal, mofos. Have a good one.